From our nation's capital, this is Naps Chat. I'm gonna sit right down and write myself a letter And make believe it came from you Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Naps Chat. I'm Bob Levy, the Director of Legislative and Political Affairs for the National Association of Postal Supervisors. Earlier this week, the Postal Service Board of Governors met and elected a new chairman. Ron Bloom was elected to succeed Robert Duncan as the board chairman. Bloom has served on the Postal Board of Governors since August 2019 to complete an unexpired term, which actually lapsed in December 2020. So he is currently in a one-year holdover status, which ends in December 2021, unless he is renominated by President Biden and then confirmed by the Senate. Ron Bloom, unlike Robert Duncan, is a Democrat, and he served in the Obama administration. Also, he previously served as a consultant to various labor unions, including the National Association of Letter Carriers. Also, during the board meeting, Postmaster General Louis DeJoy and two members of his senior leadership addressed the board relating to the Postal Service's financial and operational status. In part, the Postmaster General signaled that he will propose organizational changes, which will be unveiled in the very near future. DeJoy indicated that his proposal is intended to retain six-day mail delivery, stabilize and strengthen postal finances and the postal workforce, and invest in infrastructure. Moreover, he is indicated that he will make operational changes, which he left unspecified, that would focus on planned processing, transportation, and networks. Discussion also was conducted about the dramatic decline in postal performance since June 2020. Also was addressed was the Postal Service's success in transporting absentee election ballots. Which brings me to this week's NAPS chat guest, Congressman Mundare Jones. More than any other individual, Representative Jones is responsible for lifting the heavy veil of postal secrecy relating to its performance, specifically the precipitous decline of on-time delivery. Representative Jones was just elected to Congress, representing a suburban, ex-suburban district located north of New York City. He previously served in the Obama administration and has been involved in community organizations. The congressman has been elected the youngest member of the House leadership team and is serving on the House Judiciary Committee and the Education and Labor Committee and the Ethics Committee. Welcome to NAPS Chat, Representative Jones, and congratulations on your election and the honor the House has bestowed upon you as a membership of the leadership team. Thank you very much. It is a thrill to be in Congress at this time, despite the unprecedented challenges that we face, uh, both from within and without. <laughs> but I've got to tell you, I'm, I'm really, really excited to be doing the work of the American people and, um, and to be talking with your listeners. Now, this is NAPS chat, so we deal with uh, primarily the postal community. So I'm, I'm going to ask you this question, and I ask this to most of our guests. Uh, what is the earliest recollection you have of receiving or sending mail? <laughs> the earliest recollection I have of sending or receiving mail uh, is, you know, at an early age, 
going to, uh, to, to the post office uh, to, to send mail. My grandfather was a small business owner uh, in addition to being a janitor. Uh, and also just uh, waiting for the mailman to come. Uh, every single day, uh, opening the door with my grandmother to check the mailbox and, um, uh, you know, getting magazines and coupons <laughs> that she collected uh, for, for groceries and, and other things. Uh, it's, um, it was a special time waiting for the mailman to come. Congressman, in my introduction of you, I referenced your key role in shining a bright spotlight on postal performance in the wake of the operational changes that the Postmaster General implemented this past summer. Could you explain your motivation in filing the lawsuit Jones versus the United States Postal Service and what, some of the background about it? Well, the, the United States Postal Service is critical for the, the functioning of our democracy. And what I saw last summer, even as a candidate at the time, an unelected candidate for United States Congress, was an attack on the Postal Service and as a result, on the idea of a free and fair election from the most powerful person in the world with the support of, unfortunately, the Postmaster General himself. So we filed, uh, myself and a number of other plaintiffs, we filed a lawsuit against Mr. Trump and the Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy, over their efforts to undermine and sabotage the USPS during that 2020 presidential election, in which I myself was a candidate, by the way, in an election where most people were, or at least many people, were going to be voting by mail. Uh, and in that lawsuit, we reiterated that protecting the USPS meant protecting the right to vote that November. We got a major victory, as you know. Uh, the United States District Court in the Southern District of New York granted a nationwide injunction ordering the USPS to treat all election mail as either priority or first class, uh, to pre-approve all overtime pay for employees between October 26th of 2020 and November 6th of 2020, uh, and to submit a list of steps that would be required to restore first class mail and marketing mail uh, on-time delivery metrics to, to their highest levels. And, this was all very critical because uh, even, you know, then as with now, we were in the midst of a pandemic where people were uh, largely feeling uncomfortable going in person to vote and were relying uh, in most instances for the first time on an absentee balloting process. What was striking about particularly the, the ruling in, this, in the Southern District of New York was that they found constitutional implications to this strategy employed by the administration, by the Postmaster General, in curtailing or reducing the standards and pulling machines out and slowing down the mail. Particularly, they found that it was a violation of freedom of speech and also a violation of the Fifth Amendment of the, Con Fifth Amendment of the Constitution. Now, there must be some type of pride that your name is associated with a court case linking the Postal Service to the freedom of speech and due process and equal protection. It is not something that I ever wanted any credit for. Uh, and, and even today, I'm just grateful for the great people who work for the Postal Service who had to endure unprecedented sabotage. And it is great to be vindicated from a constitutional standpoint, I say that as 
as an attorney and a former litigator. Uh, and and to, to get on the books, what we would call now is precedent. Uh, precedent that can be used uh, if something like this were to ever be attempted again, uh, which I, as a member of Congress, am working hard to ensure never does happen again. There are a number of things uh, we can do to create greater independence, uh, to make the Postal Service um, fully functional uh, without relying on funding from uh, and, and, and direction from political people. And, um, and I'm looking forward to pursuing those avenues. And I know that I, I will be joined by a number of my colleagues who've been showing leadership on this. Now you're a member of Congress and you have a little bit more authority and oversight of the Postal Service, though the Education Labor Committee and the Judiciary Committee do not necessarily have direct oversight responsibilities. But the Postmaster General, in response to the rulings, not only in the Southern District of New York, but three other rulings in ever on the West Coast and also in Pennsylvania, uh, suspended actions that would have diminished the quality of mail service. Now the election's over, and there are rumors and speculation that he might try to revise those uh, proposals. As a member of Congress, what do you think Congress should do if the Postmaster General tries to unsuspend the actions that were he, he was stopped from by, uh, by, excuse me, by the uh, court system. Well, this is someone who should not be the postmaster general. And we have to start by looking at the process by which that appointment is made uh, and ways to ensure that the postmaster general is accountable to uh, not just the president of the United States, but it's Congress and, and obviously through Congress, the American people. We have a number of, of uh, committees of jurisdiction relating to the issues that we've been discussing. Uh, the Judiciary Committee on which I serve, for example, has sweeping jurisdiction with respect to the issue of voting. Uh, and so, you know, don't be surprised if uh, Postmaster General DeJoy, if he is still the postmaster by then, or, or anyone else uh, representing the USPS uh, makes an appearance before the Judiciary Committee. Uh, that remains to be decided. Uh, but the fact is that uh, the post office, the postal service, is, uh, is something that bears in a variety, on a variety of different aspects of our lives, not just, uh, not just the, the operation of the institution itself, but uh, in, in the way that it facilitates commerce, interstate commerce, uh, in the way that it facilitated voting uh, and the, the salvaging, I think, of our democracy, uh, given the results of the November presidential election, and so on and so forth. We have to make sure that we are also fully funding the Postal Service and that we are not, um, we are not, um, hampering it in any way and, or holding it to a different standard as well as as, as as we would other government agencies. Yeah, I noticed that you already co-sponsored legislation uh, that would eliminate the pre-funding requirement that has hampered uh, the Postal Service, uh, the pre-funding future retiree health benefits, and thank you for your co-sponsorship of that legislation. No problem. I mean, it is, it is something we don't do with respect to other agencies, and so you know, we should not be we should not be holding the postal service to a different standard. I want to come back to the election and from your perspective in your race, how do you think the postal employees performed in delivering democracy 
in your congressional district uh, in terms of uh, how the election ran, mail ballots, absentee ballots, and so forth? I think that the employees of the Postal Service did everything that they, that they could do. Uh, for your listeners who don't know, New York's 17th Congressional District covers parts of central and northern Westchester County and all of Rockland County. And we have in New York's 17th Congressional District 71 facilities and almost 2,400 Postal Service employees. Uh, we know that the Postal Service delivers mail to over 157 million customers six days a week nationwide. And we do the best that we can locally as well. And so what we need to be looking at is how can we provide more staffing to ensure that, and, and, and also have better leadership, uh, again, at the top with respect to the Postmaster General, to ensure that some of the, the delays that we saw last fall don't occur again. Uh, and the same being true in the, in, in the primary, which in New York State was, was June 23rd of last year. I, I would just tell you that uh, the, the Postal Service means a great deal to me. My staff and I, for example, are in the early stages of renaming uh, a post office in memory of one of my dear friends and mentors, uh, the former Rockland County clerk, Paul Pipperato. Mm -hmm. Paul, worked, Paul worked for Rockland County for over 30 years. He was a county clerk for the last 15 years. Uh, and um, he, he was just a, a, a tremendous friend. And we're really sad to see him go. But I think one of the greatest ways that we can memorialize him to celebrate him is to rename a post office after him. Well, thank you for that. Uh, I want to ask you a question. You brought up the concept of leadership. As you know, uh, the Postmaster General is selected by the Postal Board of Governors, who are the, and the Postal Board of Governors are nominated by the President subject of Senate confirmation. Now, when you were working in the Obama administration, you were involved in the nominations process, I think, for, for the Justice Department, possibly. Could you— uh, Judicial nomination. Judicial yes, Could you t share with our listeners what factors are, look, are, are considered when you're vetting nominees for the president? A variety of things. Well, I understand, my, my, understanding that the qualifications of a post of, of a board of governors is different than a judge, but what, what do you look at? You know, if, if I am the <laughs> if I am working with the president of the United States to nominate people to various posts, I am looking for, in many instances, a history of management experience. A, a history of integrity and commitment to the issues and the values uh, that are shared by the agency uh, and by the administration, um, a, an independence from political interference so that the law is always complied with uh, and that the individual is not going to be trying to undermine the very agency that that, that she is overseeing. Uh, and then, of course, intellectual acumen and um, you know a, a willingness to be innovative. I think as we as we go further into this twenty first century. This has been as you started when you when you first started our conversation, when we started the conversation, uh, you indicated that there's been sort of a rather interesting uh, 
experience over the first co- first month or so as a member of Congress, insurrection, inauguration, impeachment, legislation a bit. How has it been for you? What's your reaction to your first month and a, a week in Congress? I certainly didn't expect on the fourth day of my job to be under siege by a violent mob of domestic terrorists uh, who felt threatened by my very existence and who were trying to overthrow the federal government. Uh, But I emerged from that situation even more resolved to do the work of the American people to save this democracy uh, from very powerful people who are working all throughout this country, including from within the federal government and the United States Congress, uh, to make it difficult for people to vote to effectively steal elections by disenfranchising large swaths of the American people. Uh, people, these are, uh, these are powerful people who resent, uh, who resent the federal government itself and the role that it plays, including the role that the Postal Service plays in the daily lives of Americans. Uh, and so I, I'm really looking forward to showing leadership in this, in this time at, at which we face overlapping crises um, I, I feel like I'm exactly where I need to be. Um, and of course, it is the honor of my life to represent the people of Westchester and Rockley counties. So that which leads me to my next question. What are your legislative priorities and expectations for the 117th Congress? I remain laser focused on providing real COVID-19 relief. I was in a, a marathon education and labor committee meeting last night. It began at 3 p.m. Uh, yesterday and ended at 4.20 a.m. approximately this morning. And we got a $15 minimum wage in our package of recommendations to the Budget Committee. And I do believe the House of Representatives will pass that bill. We got um, funding for higher uh, institutions of higher education in K-12 through to safely reopen uh, during the worst public health crisis uh, since the Spanish flu. We are also, and and when I I say we, I mean uh, chiefly myself and a a handful of other folks really leading the charge on democracy reforms, like those contained in a legislation called the For the People Act, also known as HR1, which contains automatic voter registration to enfranchise an additional 50 million people nationally. Uh, and into partisan gerrymandering of congressional districts and replacing that process with independent redistricting commissions uh, so that people hostile to our government and, uh, and and who espouse crazy theories like QAnon are not able to get elected to Congress simply because they prevailed in their primaries. There, there's, there is a distortion that occurs in our democracy when state legislatures uh, pack these districts in a way that is not reflective of the American electorate, broadly speaking, and then public financing of congressional elections so that we get better people in Congress, people who won't debate the need for a $2,000 survival check in the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. Uh, I'm going to be leading on on that bill, and I'm really excited to get it passed. My final question, uh, Congressman, is usually I would ask a freshman member of Congress if you look to any veteran member as a mentor, as someone that you will take, um, you, you, you hold up as a model that you'd like to emulate. Is there anyone out there uh, who you consider to be a mentor? And if so, why? 
I am really focused on distinguishing myself and, and showing the kind of leadership that I feel is, is vastly underrepresented in the United States Congress. Uh, I'm grateful to have leaders that I could look to, mentors from, you know, across the ideological spectrum within the Democratic Party. Um, you know, people like Joe Nagoose, who's a sophomore now in Congress and one of the impeachment managers uh, who just delivered a brilliant opening statement yesterday. You know, Ayanna Presley uh, is someone else who I consider a mentor. And, you know, I, I just did a, a podcast with, uh, with the majority whip, Jim Clyburn, yesterday, who just brings a wealth of experience and, and a different perspective, frankly from the one I have on, on a number of issues, but, you know, I, I just, I, I'm very respectful of my elders and, and want to learn as much as I can from them while I can. I, sh I should mention that the names that you just mentioned, like Jonah Goose and Ayanna Presley and James, Jim Clyburn are all good friends of uh, our organization. And Ayanna is actually on uh, the House Oversight and Reform Committee. And uh, you've talked, you've at least as you, you're going to chart your own course in Congress, but these are good people to touch base with. And I appreciate your uh, candor and your honesty and sharing that with us. Um, I do want to thank you, Congressman, for joining me on this episode of NAPS Chat and wish you the best of luck in the 117th Congress. So thank, thank you, you for joining us. This, this has been delightful, and I look forward to uh, joining you at some point in the future. Uh, know that help is on the way. And... It, it could not have come at a more appropriate time, I think. I want to thank NAPS Chat listeners for logging on this week. If you enjoy NAPS Chat, please leave us a positive review in the Apple Podcast Store. And more importantly, share NAPS Chat with your friends and colleagues. Be safe and secure till next week. I'm going to right down and write myself a letter. And make believe it came from you I'm gonna